Hello and welcome back to Pinstripe Pulse. We have a new special guest on the podcast today. He comes to us live from Yankee Spring Training Camp. It's June Lee. Let's hit it. Hello and welcome back to Pinstripe Pulse. I'm joined as always by Jake. What's up, guys? But more importantly today, we have a staff writer for ESPN.com. You'll also see him featured on Around the Horn on ESPN, also formerly of Bleacher Report. If you see any of his articles there, it is the one, the only June Lee who joins us from sunny Tampa, Florida at the Yankees Tampa Spring Training Facility. June, nice to meet you, and thanks for hopping yeah, on. Yeah, nice to meet you too. Of course, yeah. How long have you been down in uh, Florida? Oh, yeah, I've been down in Florida for uh, since last Sunday, and then I just talked to Volpe. I'm working on the story on him, probably like for now, but also for down the road too. Um, he's good. He's a he's a really very nice kid. That's everything I've heard about him. Um, one of our teammates actually like coached him uh, back when he was like six years old, apparently and oh wow yeah like right on the upper west side at baseball center and um apparently oh yeah because he's his, from new jersey yep yep so that like he would just come to the city over the summer and work out there but apparently like they would put him in front of the like the 75 mile an hour cage like 35 feet away and just like let him rip he's six years old yeah that's why so, like everything I've, it's insane like genetic freak in that sense but um i'm just like it's crazy to watch him like kind of bloom into what he is now. Yeah, I think he's gonna be a good player. He uh he hits the ball hard. I think he's got a surprising amount of pop for someone of his, his size. Um and his hands at shortstop are really good. Like he's just always kind of his fundamentals are just like really, really sound. Uh I'm excited to see like I'm a Red Sox fan. Like I would prefer the Yankees not get exciting young players, but like both, like he really does seem like he's pretty legit. And the way he carries himself too, um, very confident but uh, very grounded as well. Especially given someone in his position, like you know, there's a lot of potential for egos to get big and stuff. And he's, uh, I think, pretty grounded. That's awesome. And that's ideal that that we want to see from that. We we've been like wax poetic about him the last few weeks, but I don't know. He just seems like the real deal. Yeah. I'm- I'm not sure that he's gonna he's gonna start it on opening day at shortstop. Probably but like not. if he's up yeah. before the you know before the All Star break, you know sometime in May, that wouldn't be the most surprising thing in the world. Because I just think that like if you consider where the Yankees are at, they're bringing back a lot of the same guys. Unless Aaron Hicks and Josh Donaldson take this like enormous leap, the big like X factor in terms of the potential for this team to actually get better upon where they were last season is shortstop and I think Volpe offers the most potential there um between him and Peraza and IKF so I mean depending on where the team is and on top of how he performs like it could be a a groundswell of, of kind of things happening for him to actually play shortstop on opening day not opening day sorry not too far off of opening day yeah yeah I feel like they've got quite the crowd in middle infield room at this point so it's just a matter of time to see which shoe drops first, I think. Yeah, and the Yankees have historically, I think, been so conservative in terms of building their prospects up. Like, they don't need to be aggressive 
with Volpe on opening day to kind of push him to be there because we got enough in middle infielders to not have to put like the pressure of like starting him on opening day is almost unnecessary at this point. Um, and I think it could probably do more harm than it does good. And so I think it makes sense to kind of hold him off for a little bit. But I think if the team really wants to like reach its full potential, like won't be a shortstop, like playing, uh, playing well, probably the best potential version of this team. Like there's obviously a lot of variables there, but I think when you look at on paper and the projections, like that is probably the best version of this team if everything goes well. Yeah, absolutely. We talked about that yesterday, actually, like how Volpe's floor, if he were to come up right now, is probably still higher than, uh, not Peraza, but IKF's like ceiling, at least, um, just as a shortstop in general. But I think that he's just such a versatile type of player, the way that he moves around the field. His body looks like very durable for a 162-game season. He could have a similar impact to that of like a Jeremy Pena, if you're like looking at it like most recent. Yeah, I mean, I think that like, I, I think that that's not that's a pretty good comparison. I think on, on top of that, they're also just playing him in a couple different positions just to give as much flexibility as possible because probably the best permutation of this team is like DJ at second base and Josh Donaldson like being healthy at third base um, more so than Glaber at second. Although like we've seen with Glaber, like he can have really good seasons and uh, obviously not very good seasons as well. And so like I think that like the second and third base spots there's a lot of variation into the terms of potential results that this team could have. Um, and I think how those two positions play off, uh, play out. And also uh, just what the shortstop position looks like between, you know, Braza or IKF at the beginning of the year. Um, I think it, it'll, it'll play, it'll, it'll shape the way that the Yankees kind of approach um, bringing, bringing uh, Volpe up because I think it's easy to forget. Like IKF was pretty good a couple of years ago. Yeah. Like he was a four win player a couple of years ago. And like, I think he was like, you know, he, he, the, the sabermetrics were better than I think his impact on the team was because he made a lot of big mistakes and big moments for the Yankees. But like, this is a guy, there's a reason why the Yankees continuously throw praise at IPF, even to the point it annoys a lot of Yankee fans. Like, fundamentally, from a, like a mechanic standpoint, he's a very good, fundamentally sound fielder who has made a lot of mistakes and big moments for the Yankees. He has the potential to be a player who makes an impact on this team and is an above average major league shortstop. But that hasn't been the IKF that we've like seen in New York. And so like I think that the there's just a lot of variables on the non-first base side of the infield that will play a big role in kind of shaping the way that Volpe actually comes up. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. You made a good point about uh the amount of variation with all the different positions. Cause I think, like you said, the Yankees have been really conservative with their approach on their positioning and i think what they've been doing recently is trying to limit the low end of that variation as opposed to trying to maximize the positive potential and i think like we've seen that from a bunch of like 90 to 100 win seasons but then once we get into playoff scenarios like you know ikf graded out really well defensively at third base like he won a gold glove in a COVID shortened year and then like you said he was a four-win player with texas um, but even like the saber metrics are are weird for defensive shortstops. Like some stats tell you he's great, some tell you that he's not so great. And I don't know. It just seems like Volpe and Peraza give that different dynamicism of what an athletic shortstop can be, and like those game changing kinds of plays. But I I love IKF as like a complementary versatility piece on a team. I like I think he has a really strong work that work ethic. Um, like his bat to ball skills as a potential pinch hitter, as someone who plays 100 to 120 games, is still 
really solid. But yeah, I'd prefer one of the young kids. Yeah, I think you just maximize this team's ceiling when you're playing Peraza or Fulke. Like, I think the floor is maybe kind of similar, maybe slightly lower with Peraza at shortstop. But, like, the dynamic there um, at shortstop particularly, like, if Peraza, like, isn't as good offensively as you would like, and he's very, very good defensively, and you feel like you can get more out of that position, that's when you bring Volpe up. And so I think having IKF of just, like, a ball safe is, like, a very good place for this Yankee team to be because, you know, as much as criticism as he gets, like, a lot of teams would take IKF as their starting shortstop. Um because yeah. like you know the he he's like one of those like nitpicky points on the Yankees where it's like you can see why he's like a well-respected player, but he's kind of like he's one of those points where it kind of makes the difference between you being like a good playoff team and a legit like no doubt championship contender. And so I understand why Yankee fans are like so angry at him. And like, as a Red Sox fan, I look at them like that's definitely one of the things where. Yeah. You know, the Yankees are held back by the fact that, like, IKF isn't as good offensively as you would hopefully want out of a position where I think the mean for uh, offensive shortstop production has gone up over the course of the last decade since the Lindor, Correa, Bogart generation has kind of come into the sport. And so I think that it makes sense. I understand, I can very much understand why fans are frustrated, but I think he does represent a really good failsafe given the, the whole kind of range of outcomes that you could have at the shortstop position for this team. Yeah, and I think a lot of the frustration is more stemmed from like the fact that the Yankees decided to like not go for a Corey Seager or a Carlos Correa the last two or three years just because they wanted a, a stopgap essentially to bridge that you know small amount of time when they are ready to bring up these two really high caliber uh, shortstop prospects. And now that they're pretty much there, ready to go, I mean, I think Volpe could come up at any point at this season and just tear it up. But at the same time, it's like you've been anticipating all this time. Um, we're, you know, not giving out that nine-figure uh, nine deal. So when is that moment going to come? IKF did definitely, like, serve his purpose last season. But he came into, like, the most highly demanding, you know, fan base in probably the entire league. Um, just Yankees fans are so used to having such a notable player at that position in particular. I think that's where a lot of that frustration came from. Um, so it definitely wasn't warranted for him, but I think it's more towards the front office in that sense. Yeah. And like, it's, he's kind of the perfect target, right? Like he's a kind of an outsider guy who came in um, like it's because it's like deep Didi was such like an outgoing personality too. Like it's hard to like not dislike Didi. I kept is a little bit more stoic. Um, in my experience, he's always been like a very friendly guy. But he's not, like, he's as outwardly, like, having fun on the baseball field as someone like Didi was. And so, like, I definitely understand the frustration there from a Yankee fan perspective. Like, if he was on the Red Sox, I'd probably be frustrated with him in a very similar way. But I think part of that frustration also comes from the fact that you see his level of confidence. Like, you see that he is a better-than-average shortstop in so many different ways. And that it just cut, like, the worst of him comes out in the most inopportune moments. And so... It's not even that he's, like, bad. Like, I understand, like, the frustration of, like, he's not even bad, you know? But it's just, like, he's bad in the wrong moments, and that's almost worse because you're teased with this level of confidence. <laughs> and then when the moment actually comes uh, for him to, like, kind of take things to the next level, you know, he makes an error in the field or makes a throwing error, drops a grounder or something. That play in game four of the uh, ALCS was the epitome of that. Oh, my God. Yeah. 
That reminded me of a, a quote. I forget. It was some MLB player said it about Joey Gallo, like how people critique, um, you know, Gallo not being able to break the shift or alter his approach at the plate. And I, I heard a pro play. I forget their name. I, I'd have to find the quote. But they said that Joey Gallo is a Joey Gallo is a victim of how good he is because people who can't make that adjustment, who can't hit the ball on the ground to the left side, most of them don't play Major League Baseball. Like they're not good enough to play Major League Baseball. Joey Gallo got to that level and is so criticized and ridiculed for something that ninety nine. 0.99% of people still can't do, but because he can hit the ball 500 feet, he he gets criticized. So like you said, it's it's IKF being good until he's not. Yeah, it's tough. It's a double-edged sword. I, I think it's also why playing in like a market like Boston or New York or Philly is so difficult for a lot of guys because the thing that gets you praised in smaller markets is the exact thing that's going to provide the basis of criticism in these markets that are like rabid baseball hungry and are always looking for like talk show radio fodder. You mentioned uh, you're a Red Sox fan. Um, I know you were born in South Korea and you follow the Red Sox, bred in Boston, as your Twitter bio says. Um, and you follow all different sports. I I went through your Twitter. I saw you were live tweeting the NBA celebrity game. Um, you have one of my favorite articles about a young Kylian Mbappe when he was before the two World Cups, before he became like an international superstar. So I appreciate that as a soccer fan, the covers that you had back then. But what brings you to Tampa to baseball following the Yankees right now for this short time? I mean, I've been covering kind of East Coast baseball for uh, a couple of years now with ESPN. So you know, the Red Sox, the Yankees, the Mets are kind of the primary focuses that I have. And uh, I was in jury duty for a month uh, before this, and so I got a late start to my season and uh, need to make the spring training rounds and just uh, fill up the notebook before uh, baseball season starts. So I was in Red Sox camp working on a Rafael Devers story that I got to write tonight, and then Mets camp was working on a story about um, uh, just uh, Eduardo Escobar and, and the third base situation there with guys like Brett Beatty coming along um, and how he's kind of providing leadership for that clubhouse and providing a lot of like intangible stuff off the field that um, I think it's hard to see if you're just like watching the games on TV. And then here at Yankees camp, you know, monitoring for news and also Anthony Volpe. So uh, he's kind of the, I think the big hot story for the team this, this season, because he's kind of the, the big variable for what the ceiling for this team could be. So just trying to like figure things out and, you know, say hi to guys before the season starts and uh, everyone's in a good mood before opening day. Cause you know, you haven't won or lost any games yet. Um, and so just, you know, reintroduce myself to guys, asking them how their offseason went, asking them where they went on vacation, that kind of stuff. I was going to say, what are the vibes like over there? Uh, the vibes at Yankee camp, I mean, they're always serious. Like, the Yankees are just the most corporate of all the baseball teams, I think, that, like, people <laughs> come to the ballpark, people are very, very serious, like, there's a lot of pressure. Um, the vibes at the Red Sox camp and the Mets camp are always looser, and that's just, like, just generally true across the board. Um like, when I was in the Red Sox clubhouse, like, uh, you know, the old Mets reliever, Joely Rodriguez, he was just, like, singing very loudly and just, like, energizing guys and, like, challenging guys to, like, one-on-one -on -one mini basketball in the clubhouse. Like, you would just never see that at Yankee spring training. Like, the Mets have, like, last year, a ping-pong table and a pool table. That's nowhere to be seen at Yankee Stadium, you know? So... 
people come there. It's like an it's like an office. Like every single locker is like a cubicle, and you do your work, and you like go to the back and avoid the media, and eat your dinner, or whatever before the game. Whereas like the Red Sox and the Mets, they kind of hang out in the clubhouse more and enjoy enjoy themselves a little bit more for the media. <laughs> punch in, punch out. Yes. <laughs> As someone covering the Yankees, is that something that's frustrating for you with in terms of access to players? Like, do the, I know the Yankees PR team are like a, a well-oiled machine in terms of you know how how they interact with people. What's that like for you? Uh it's usually fine. But so, like for the most part, if I'm not asking guys questions for a story, I'm usually just trying to talk to them about like what music they're listening to or what they're watching or. Um, I was talking to Michael King today about the Patriots because we're both big Patriots fans and he's from New England. And so we were talking about like our frustrations with Mac Jones and he said that the Patriots should uh, try to get another quarterback. And, you know, all this, that, that's the kind of like small talk that you just like try to drum up in the locker room. Because um, like as much as I love baseball, like I kind of like love pop culture. I love, you know, every other sport, uh, football, basketball, soccer, especially. And so um, I don't know, I'm always just trying to like, develop relationships with guys by talking about everything other than the wins and losses because that's almost always the last thing they want to talk about um and thankfully i'm in a position at ESPN where like i'm not really covering day-to-day in the same way as a lot of other writers are and so um i'm kind of the guy that like will go to francisco lindor and ask about like his signature sneaker line and what he's working on and like the process of developing signature sneaker and uh, you know, I'm going to, you know, uh, Jake knows Adam Modavino. Like, I'm probably going to Adam and I'm talking about, like, his new camera and, like, what he's shooting and, you know, all the weird gear that he has, like, preparing for the clubs. Like, last year, me, you know, Trevor Williams, who's on the Nationals now, he's a big Star Wars fan. I'm an enormous Star Wars fan. So we just, like, talked about uh, initially the Boba Fett show and then, like, the Obi Wan show. And we just, like, give our, we just, like, give each other takes about, like, what we liked and what we didn't like. Uh, and so, that's usually what I'm trying to do with clubhouses. So like, you know, it's the, the the vibe is just like a tone setter. Uh, I just try to like engage with guys one-on-one and try to figure out like, hey, is there any common interest? Because I listen to a lot of music and watch a lot of movies and try to consume a diverse range of things to try to find, uh, to, for me to enjoy just generally, but also like it, it usually helps me just like find common ground and talk to guys about stuff. Yeah, my time at the lab, like, that's just one thing that I kind of realized is, like, at the end of the day, they're just dudes that, like, baseball is their job, but, like, at, they have a bunch of other interests. They like the same foods we like. They like the same bands we like, maybe different ones that they can recommend to you. So, I mean, the first thing that I noticed with Ottavino, honestly, was, like, whenever I walked in there was uh, during the lockout, and he was taking, like, a lot of stills of guys throwing their pens. I was like, damn, he likes a lot of uh, – he just likes photography more than I expected him to um so it's just really cool to see them in their different elements like that yeah adam and i did a we worked on a story during the pandemic when he was with the yankees where he took a bunch of like covid photos basically behind the scenes and we ended up publishing all of them on ESPN.com. and i wrote uh we i kind of just interviewed him this is the first time i like had a long interaction with adam um where we just kind of went through and just like i looked at all the photos i just asked him to describe the story behind all of them uh, and I, I was a photo editor in high school and Adam and I both uh, had like the cameras and so we kind of had this like middle ground. So I remember the first time I talked to him, we just like talked about cameras and he had just gone like this like full frame hustle blot. Like it's like a big camera nerd camera yeah. and um, it's like the type of ca- it's like an expensive camera that you like use to like take photos that end up on billboards because of like the megapixel count is enormous. And so 
he was just like a big photo nerd. And I was just like, there's not that many athletes that are this passionate and nerdy about something that's not baseball. And so I tend to gravitate towards um, those athletes, not even just baseball players in general, where it's like guys who clearly love whatever sport they're playing, but they have hobbies outside of it. Like James and Tanya talked about like, just the restaurants that he would eat on the road because he like he's like a big foodie and like a not just like the like going to fancy restaurants type of way going to every Michelin star restaurant like he had like opinions about like you know the way that food had evolved and all this stuff since during his career so like that's the type of stuff that I try to type of conversation that I try to like drum up in the in the clubhouse I think it's always fun to get these uh opinions from these guys because they, they have very unique perspectives on the world just by being professional athletes and having access to a lot of things and a lot of money so uh, it's always pretty interesting to to kind of try to find these common ground points yeah that's awesome so i know you mentioned the yankees being uh super corporate and you know we definitely feel that too and even that kind of comes through in terms of the vibe of the ballpark and, and who goes to games in certain sections um but something that really struck i think our uh, our emotions over the offseason was Aaron Judge finally being named captain uh, after getting that extension. And I think you were able to be at the that press conference live. Yes, I was. Yeah, what were the vibes? How did that feel? Uh, it was very festive. Um, it just felt like it felt like a lot of history in the room because you saw like Willie Randolph was there and Derek Jeter was like a surprise showing and it was just like Al Steinbrenner was there and just felt like the weight and the gravity of the moment because like in, the, in kind of the hallway that leads up to the Yankee press conference room, there's these like enormous larger than life photos of like Yogi Berra and Babe Ruth and Mickey Mantle and Mariano Rivera. And just like, you see all of that kind of leading up and then you see like some of the history in that room um, for baseball nerd. It's just like, it feels very heavy in like a really awesome way. Um, you could sense the polish of the event, you know, like it was like obviously a press conference, but it was almost like a made for TV spectacle too. Um, like Yankees <laughs> PR clearly had like a very clear vision for like, all right, it's going to be like a 30 minute thing. And we're going to run through all these stages of the event. Like it was like a, it was like Yankees PR put together like a symphony on how to put on a TV show of a press conference almost. And then like afterwards we were kind of <laughs> shuffled into like one of the luxury suite cafeteria areas. And they had like a cycle of like Aaron Boone and, uh, Hal Steinbrenner and Derek Jeter and Aaron Judge, they all circled in and out and we all like had conversations with all of them. And um it was just like it was like a corporate efficiency trying to maximize this like storytelling uh all at once. And I don't know, it was very Yankees. It was like very uh and I don't mean this in like a in like a condescending or like a shade kind of way, but it was like a very self-important because like the Yankees are very into their own mystique. And they kind of lead into that, I think. And if you're a Yankee fan, like I imagine, it is it is very emotional and it hits really hard because you just feel the. I think the Yankees are really good at tying together the history of the team into kind of the importance of the organization, the importance of the brand, not just in sports but around the world. And I think that um, events like that are when you really, really feel that and you understand like why the Yankees are so important to so many people around the world. Yeah, I was working from home um, up at my my girlfriend's family's house in Saratoga Springs, upstate, and both of them grew up Yankees fans. And their favorite player, they always say, was Thurman Munson growing up. So I was working from home, and then on Yes, they're like, oh, the Yankees have this uh, press conference for Judge. I'm like, okay, it's going to happen now. And when I told them that he was named captain, they, like, cheered. They, like, got emotional. They, they, were, they jumped up and down, and we put it on the TV, and we watched it together, but... 
yeah, the Yankees definitely do really well with the history. Obviously, it's part of what draws us to them, um, but they're unique in that sense um, with how they do it. A lot of other places have history, but the Yankees have a way of doing things. Yeah, I think it's just like when you're the New York Yankees and you have as much money as the New York Yankees do, you can put on a show with resources in a way that no other franchise can. Like the, I, As a Red Sox fan, the Red Sox also really lean into their history. They have a whole fame. They have all this stuff. They have a team historian. Um, but the Red Sox don't make as much money as the New York Yankees do. And you can feel that in like the grand, the, the scale of the spectacle that the Yankees put on that no other team in baseball can possibly have the resources to do. And I think when you have, when you combine all of those things, uh, you really feel the grandeur of the moment in a way that I think is impossible to, for any other organization to pull off. It's like watching Toy Story for the first time or like Star Wars for the first time. Yeah, hundred percent. Like, Star Wars is Star Wars, obviously because it's really good storytelling, but there is a level of scale to the movie that you just feel that takes it to another level. Like I watched Titanic for the first time a couple of weeks ago um, because it was kind of one of my big movie gaps. And we went to the movie theater, my girlfriend, we went to the movie theater to watch it. And when you watch that movie, you know, they recreated the boat for that movie and then they sank it. And it's like, you can't, like yeah. it's different than watching a CGI boat sink, you know. Like it's just different. You see the people, you know, flailing, and it's like, oh, this is like, it, it takes the movie to just a complete other level. Like it, yeah. it, it, it makes the immersion just like another level. I mean, like people talk about it all the time with the Avatar movies. Like this is actually have a cultural impact, and you can you can debate that, you know, one way or the other. But it's undeniable that when you go to an Avatar movie that's directed by James Cameron, you're going to be transported into another world for three hours. Maybe, you know, a half hour too long, but, like, you're going to be in that world for three <laughs> hours. And that's, like, even if people don't feel the same type of emotional connections with the characters of Avatar that they do to, like, Star Wars or Marvel, the reason people still go to see Avatar 2 is, like, it's just a complete escape from the world. And I think that that kind of scale is what the Yankees bring that I think is literally impossible for any other team um, in baseball and really in sports to, I think, due to that scale because how big the Yankee brand is internationally. I mean, if you could compare it to any other like sports team in terms of their international reach, I would say the Lakers are kind of the only team that have a similar reach and mystique. Mm -hmm. That's kind of it, though. And I say that as a Celtics fan, you know, like, the Lakers, the Lakers, because of Kobe and all that history, like they reach an international audience that no other basketball team does. And I think the Yankees are also similar in that regard. Yeah, it's transcendent of just baseball alone. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, June, I want to be respectful of your time. Uh, thank you so much for jumping on with us. Um, and yeah, Jake, anything else before we, before we get out? Yeah, quick sales pitch. So we play on the Hudson Hurricanes, obviously. Um, of the New York City Metro Baseball League. I know that you're a big baseball fan. It's been a while since you played, but if you're ever looking to play again or if you want to throw a first pitch out for a game, like feel free to let us know and uh, we'll make that happen. Yeah, I mean, I would. I miss playing baseball. So if, if, if there comes a time where I like have a little bit more time on my schedule to like play baseball regularly, I would love to. We'll keep that in mind, absolutely. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Even if you want some ABs. Let us know. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much, June. We we do have a media game between the Red Sox media and the Yankee media. I play for the Red Sox media just because those are my guys for a decade plus. Um, but I always find myself wishing that I'd get taken a couple more swings before that game actually takes place. So maybe I'll I'll take you guys up on that at some point. 
Anyone with some surprising pop that you would just like not expect? Uh, the only person I think plus actual pop in that game is Jake Mintz of Sesame's Family Barbecue. And I think that makes sense because he played <laughs> baseball in college. He hit, he hit, so I, I pitched in that game and he hit a ball off of me that like three hopped the right field fence at Fenway and like the deep part of the right field fence. And it was a demoralizing hit to my ego. <laughs> It's like, you know what, maybe I'm good retired. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe I don't need to do this anymore. Respectable. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks so much, June. Have Take care. See so, ya. Yeah. That was awesome. That was great. That was June Lee, staff writer for ESPN.com. And you might see him on Around the Horn on ESPN as well and all of the other stuff that we spoke about live at Yankees Camp, just coming from an interview with Anthony Volpe. What were your favorite things that June said there? I mean, what's not to love about all of that? Um, I think that it's really cool how he just emphasized how special this kid looks. Um, just like he passes the eye test, the way that he carries himself on the field is already comparable of like a seasoned veteran at this point, but he has the intangible tools of a young stud that's coming up through the system. Um, there's so much to be excited about after listening to him speak. Yeah, and he was, you know, he was really high on Volpe and the young kids in general. You know, what we want to do here and what we we would like to do in general is to give Yankees fans, I think sometimes what we need is a well-rounded view of the Yankees in terms of where baseball is at. And June is definitely an outsider. Um, well, he's an insider, but he's also an outsider, giving us that perspective as a non-Yankees fan. Uh, because we have to be realistic. Like he mentioned, you know, IKF is a shortstop that a lot of teams would be happy to have. And that's realistic. Um, but, you know, the Yankees have different expectations. But when we look at how we're filling in these positions, I, I think it's important for us to be understanding of what's available in the league, where the league is at, and what are the realities behind investing in those kinds of players, whether that's a trade, whether that's paying um, a free agent deal. And I think that contributes to some of the frustration about not utilizing the young kids who you've already invested and you have waiting in the wings at your disposal. Yep, that's absolutely true. And I mean, one guy to think about in particular who we didn't really talk about with him, but we talked about yesterday is uh, Jason Dominguez. The Yankees invested 5.1 million in him. You know, like that was his signing bonus. Um, that's a significant amount of money. IKF is making $6 million this year. Um, it just goes to show that they have invested heavily in these kids and like they clearly want them to come through the system and not be rushed up. But at the same time, it's like, you have to be willing to pull the trigger in order to uh, truly allow this team to progress to the point that it can be at. Um, they have a very high ceiling if they use all the pieces the right way. Yeah. And Dominguez was 16 when he got that uh, $5.1 million deal and Volpe's first round signing bonus was 2.7. So aside from salary there, like, you know, it, it's a big investment and you have to let these guys play. And I think the Yankees would view it as, yeah, it's a big investment. So we don't want to mess it up. Um, the Yankees are one are of the mindset, which a lot of rich organizations have of when you have so much money, you can afford to be conservative and still make a profit. Um, and that's kind of true. Like the Yankees are consistent perennial winners, but like June was alluding to, and we spoke about a bit is when you're playing in a game of head to head competition, you have that variation. Sometimes it's important not only to ha heighten your floor, 
um, but also to heighten your ceiling. And I think the Yankees don't utilize their ceiling as best as they can because there's only one winner. The Yankees are going to continue to make money. They're going to continue to be a winning team in the eyes of non-Yankees fans and that you're winning over 85 games a year. You're making the playoffs most years. Um, and just that's not the standard that we have. And it's difficult in a, uh, you know, in a 30 team uh, set league sport, you know, that's not like promotion relegation, like you see in soccer uh, to do that. And I think you just need to spend the money or you need to spend or you utilize the investments that you've already made. Yep. And they've already spent a lot of money. Like what are they at? $289 million for payroll, something along those lines. And they have not yeah, moved any payroll whatsoever. So like something's got to give at one point or another, whether you move uh, prospect capital or you move money. Um, and it just comes down to which direction they want to go. And it's been pretty clear throughout the last few years that they want to stick with their young guns. So, I mean, now's the time to actually do it. So we'll be looking out for June's article on Anthony Volpe and some other things he has from spring camp and the Yankees. And he'll have some good stuff as he, as he always does with, like he mentioned that personal insight into some of these players lives, um, not only with the Yankees, but also the other big market teams on the East coast, like the Red Sox and the Mets who he's hit over the last few days at camp. Um, so we're really happy to have him on. He's, he's a big face in the media. He's a nice up and comer. So if you don't follow him already, at June Lee, basically everywhere, Instagram, Twitter, um, and read his stuff on ESPN.com. Yep, go do that. All right. Uh, that is another episode of Pinstripe Pulse. Uh, we will be coming out with a bunch of other stuff around the World Baseball Classic and around some of the next games of spring training for the Yankees. So uh, this is us signing off. Jake, thanks so much. Yeah, appreciate it. See y'all.